Welcome to Positive Talk Radio. Our goal is simple, to explore evolving ideas one conversation at a time. So stay with us as right now we present. Welcome to Positive Talk Radio, everybody. We've got a great show for you today. I need you to stay right where you're at because this is this show is going to be highly impactful. It's necessary to talk about even though there's a little bit darkness associated to it, there's also a great deal of light if we look at it in the right way. And uh, Cami Wolf Rice, the author, are you getting used to saying that yet? No. Or hearing that? <laughs> I love hearing it. <laughs> she is the author of the forthcoming book. It's called The Flight, My Opioid Journey. And, um, and it's a quite, quite a story. And the book is coming out, but she is also a philanthropist, a speaker. She's working to get the word out and the understanding of which can change everything. And that is the understanding of opiate abuse and where it comes from. Because uh, uh, I guess we should begin and, and just and just briefly because I want them to buy the book as, as well, which is, by the way, what day is it coming out? October 26th. So October 26th, you'll be able to go to Amazon and you can get the flight, Myopia Journey. And it's a really important book because, well, we'll get into that a little bit. But tell us about your darling boy. So my son, Christopher, um, I mean, this kid, AP student, wanted to be a Navy SEAL, just super book smart. Um, and he was diagnosed with a colon disease in high school. And this was 20 some years ago, Kevin, and he had to have his large intestine removed. And it was right at the exact time that Purdue Pharma was releasing the wonder drug Oxycontin. And we went home with 90 Oxycontin followed by 90 more. I didn't even know that they could do that type of a surgery to remove someone's entire large intestine because... Where did, well, I suppose that that meant that he had to have a, um, a, a colostomy bag? Yes, sir. He did. He did. And then followed by a surgery. A few months later, they have a J-pouch surgery where they actually turn your small intestine to act as a large intestine and you can get rid of the bag. Thank God. Um, I had no idea they could do that one either. Yeah. For a senior in high school, for you know, a teenage boy, you know, the disease is just horrific. He had, you know, they have a lot of medicine now that's much better for ulcerative colitis, but then there weren't many options and he was having, you know, diarrhea 20 times a day. And so trying to go to school and have a bag and it was just super humiliating. And, you know, honestly, that first prescription of 90 Oxycontins, it took us a while to even understand that there was an issue. Um, he didn't know it. I didn't know it we didn't know the right questions to even ask the doctor. Well, and I don't and, think um, that they, in those days, I don't think they had the answer to the question that you might have asked them. Exactly. You're right. I, I think that, you know, doctors were told by the pharmaceutical reps from Purdue Pharma that the Oxycontin was not addictive when in fact it was very addictive. And in those days, when when they when doctors get a new medication, which is one of the reasons why they don't necessarily go down the natural path of of eating better and and stuff like that, is because the pills they get samples all the time. So I'm sure that when this first came out, they were inundated with because you know doctors actually got hooked on this stuff, so they were inundated with samples of try this and try get them to take that and stuff like that. It made it it made it really. It made it really tough. So your son had an opening prescription of 90 plus 90. That's 180 pills that you take one every, and it never is one. One every four hours. And Kevin, honestly, I, you know, feel horrible to even say this, but we don't ask doctors questions. And I was told to give them to him every four hours. He was in pain. He had a hole in his stomach. So of course, I was doing exactly what the doctor said and giving them to him every four hours. And we fought this for 14 years for rehab treatment centers. Um, I was fortunate to have resources to get him treatment. 
And this, this drug, as opioids do, they hijack your brain, literally hijack your brain. Changes your brain, brain chemistry, doesn't gotta it? Have it? Gotta have it, gotta have it, gotta have it. Um, so we had many relapses. We had, you know, which of course he's feeling like a failure because his brain's telling him he has to have the medication. Um, and so it eventually went to, as I was telling you earlier, Kevin, 80% of heroin users started with a prescription. And so my message is number one, uh, you could become addicted with one prescription and we must feel comfortable to be our own health advocates and ask doctors questions because February 26th, 2016, I lost my son. I'm sorry. Thank you. And that, and he was 31 years of age, 32, 32, 32 and fought it for years. And, um, so what must that have been like for him? Cause I know that he wanted to get on with his life, but his brain was, and from what I understand, this stuff actually rewires your brain it does. Uh, to, into believing that this is what you have to have. And, and then is in, then there's not enough of it. Then you got to go get more and, and it's a vicious cycle. It's a vicious cycle. And, uh, I'm sure that when he was, was trying to get over it and you took him to rehab and stuff like that. It, he must've felt, you know, horrible. must've felt like a failure. He really did. I mean, I, I really stand out about, I mean, AA has been great for a lot of people and, and there's a lot of great things about AA. However, for my son personally to stand up and have to say at every meeting, hi, I'm Christopher, I'm an addict for him. It was it, it made him feel like a loser. He's like, I might as well just say, hi, I'm Christopher. I'm, I'm, a, I'm not worth anything. I'm a loser. I can't beat this. And so I felt like we really needed to bring more positivity into how we treat. And, you know, that lines with the whole issue that we have in this country around stigma and people are afraid to talk about it. And I, was a victim to that because I didn't tell my friends what was going on because I didn't want them to think poorly of my son. I think we as parents also think that we're going to look bad as parents that we've done something wrong if our son or our child is an addict and we don't want the judgment. And, and as sad as this sounds, Kevin, it took me two years to say that Christopher overdosed because I wanted my son to have a respectable death. Now, how sad on top of dealing with losing my child, but wanting it to be a respectable death, I could not say the truth. Now, how long was he after he had his second surgery? How long was the recovery time for that to when he if he had a different mindset and a different belief. He could have quit the pills because I know he had a tremendous amount of pain for a very, very long time. And there's stomach pain like is like no other. You can't run from it. You can't put an ice pack on it. You can't. It just is there. But uh, so when was he actually feeling better? How long was this whole process? I don't think he ever he never fully recovered when he had the J pouch completed. What happened after that was now your small intestine is acting as a colon, right? And what happened is he got a blockage. No, no. And so he had to have emergency surgery and they had to cut both sides and, you know, get the blockage out and then re-sew his small intestine. He was constantly having different surgeries, which A, caused PTSD, you know, again, by by then, Kevin, when I look back at the whole story, I didn't know what was happening when it was happening. But now looking back, he never had a chance to get off of them. He never had a chance to get because something else would happen. And by the time he was OK, so to speak, he was way addicted. I mean, it was it was done. He was addicted. Um, and it went from one thing to the next. And, you know, he would go to the emergency room. And he would be thinking, he'd be having a panic attack thinking, oh my God, I'm having a blockage after he had the first blockage. 
when it wasn't that at all, he was just having a stomach ache, a regular, you know, cause again, you have to be very careful with your diet and so forth. And we go back to the ED. And the other thing is at the time it's gotten a lot better, but still needs a lot of improvement. The emergency rooms didn't know how to deal with an addict. And so I would come in and say, you know, my son is in recovery. You know, he just, he's been in treatment. You can't give him opioids. And they had no idea what to do about the pain. They had no idea how to treat somebody that's in recovery. And so it was a battle between him and I, because he's looking at me that I'm the devil trying to keep pain medicine away from him when I was trying to protect him. Um, so it, it just, it literally just snowballed into one issue after another, after one treatment center, after another. Well, I can tell you this, I'm very glad you've, you've written the book and it comes out at the end of October and you can go to uh, Barnes and Noble. You can go to, um, Amazon. It's going to be in wide release. Um, and it's about your journey with your son of fighting, uh, opiate addiction, uh, through him and also subsequently to that because you've become quite the advocate. Uh, you were telling me before the uh, podcast that uh, you had uh, last weekend the Attorney General was over, of Georgia was over to your place and uh, and you had 300 people that were interested in, in supporting the work that you're doing because we probably should at one point run through the numbers of why we're even t talking about this and why it's such a big deal and why I believe in it so strongly. Mm -hmm. And I want to support you in any way that we can mm -hmm. is that it is, I, you know, we talk a lot about um, COVID-19 and we talk about some of the related things, but I tell you, you have new numbers for us to talk about, I think, don't you? Yes, I um, recently went up to Washington, D.C. and met with the DEA. Um, they invited, well, if you can imagine, and probably most can't, um, I walked into a conference room with over 200 parents that had lost their children. And you talk about grueling um, because <laughs> our country is under a chemical warfare attack, literally. Um, we have kids dying every nine minutes and we're not, we need to be really sharing the information. And that was the purpose of writing the book is to meet the, you know, to hit the masses, to try to educate everybody, because I'm telling you, you're a parent, Kevin, and in the dictionary, there is no word for when a parent loses a child. People can't even imagine it when they talk to me, they don't even know what to say because you're an orphan if you lose a parent, you're a widow if you lose a spouse. There's no word for losing a child because it's out of unnatural order. And the pain is something that is so excruciating that I had to say, you know, I read this book, it was called um, The Sixth Stage of Grief. David Kessler says, the sixth stage is purpose. And I think I skipped a few of the stages and went right to purpose. And I, and I know I'm not answering your question because I wanted to explain first, like why I had to get this book out because I don't want another parent to bury their child. Now, when you look at the opioid epidemic, it is the largest epidemic any of us, anyone that's listening today, Kevin, any of us will ever witness in our lifetime. I mean, we're talking 100,000 just in the last year. Now, there's several tentacles to this. There, is pe there are people becoming addicted by prescriptions. So there's that box. But then what we're talking about now is fentanyl. And fentanyl, look, let's be honest. Hundreds of years, people have been experimenting with drugs. In college, you try this, you try that. Sure. Parents say, oh, my kid wouldn't do that. Well, I'm sure the West Point cadets thought the same thing about their children when they went on spring break and tried cocaine. Kids are curious. They're told different things. They might be under peer pressure, whatever. Here's the difference. In today's world, experimenting with street drugs, the drugs are poisoned. It's not an overdose. You're not taking too much of something you're taking one pill and dying because it's been poisoned with fentanyl. It's a big difference. So street drugs, experimenting, being at college, trying this, try those days are O-V-E-R, over. 
because our country's under, under, literally under a chemical warfare attack. That's coming from our own DEA out of Washington, D.C. It is amazing to me that you, the number that you just said, 100,000 kids. And I just want to remind everybody that we were in Vietnam from like 1963 to 1975, and we lost 56,000 service members who were killed during that conflict during all of those years. We are losing a hundred that we're losing. We're having a Vietnam plus every year now. And I, you know, it, it, it must make your blood boil that you don't hear as much about this in the media as we really should be. Cause this is a all hands on deck. We've got to figure this excuse the expression we have to figure this shit out or people are gonna lots and lots of people are going to continue to die especially with this fentanyl stuff where from what i understand it can be there can be a granule in it in a particular pill and it can kill you is that is that right yes it is it is and i just last week there was a girl 14 years old she got a sweet tart at school and the fentanyl was in the sweet tart and she's gone, she died. And so my point is, it's not just in Adderall, Xanax, marijuana, Oxycontin, all the street drugs. It's also, they're putting it, they're calling rainbow fentanyl. It's in Skittle in, in, a, in a sweet tart, looking like a sweet tart. It's not a sweet tart, I'm gonna clarify. It looks like candy. And the girl was 14 years old. Another case, um, I was at the DEA and a mom sitting next to me, she said, my son never did drugs. He went to a slumber party and they were on Snapchat and they were all, you know, somebody contacted and kids and, you know, again, the black web and said, you know, you want to dance all night. You want to laugh till you can't stop. They delivered it to the house and like three people at the slumber party died. And these are 14, 15 year old kids. So it's, you know, we've got to talk to kids literally as young as five years old about what's going on. And they're, you know, I guess I'm screaming and screaming, Narcan, Narcan, Narcan. It's nasal spray. Everyone should own Narcan. Everyone should know what to do in a situation. It's not that you might be at a party and someone has fentanyl. You could be at a gas station. You could be at a coffee shop. They are training servers across the country in coffee shops because people are overdosing. Airports, you take a Xanax to go fly. You've got anxiety. And they got it from a friend and it wasn't a prescription and there's fentanyl in it and they're dying. Why is, is this intentional? Are people intentionally putting fentanyl in stuff to kill people or what is the purpose of having such a strong, I'm sure the DEA talked about it to have such a strong uh, uh, chemical that can kill you. And it, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if it could kill you through your skin. Well, there has been police officers that have been exposed, you know, and then had an issue. They had Narcan or, you know, that it's happened. Um, Baby, was sleeping in between a babysitter and another person. And those girls were doing something and the fentanyl got on the baby and the baby overdosed. I mean, yeah, it's, it's insane. Honestly, Um, it gets really tricky and a little bit complicated to explain because there are people. And again, we're on stigma. We, we try not to use, we're trying to change the vocabulary and call it substance misuse disorder instead of addict and instead of drug abuser. We're trying to change the way we look at and what we use, what words to describe. But my point is there are people that are fentanyl addicts. The average lifespan is three years. They've built up a tolerance for the fentanyl. And it's a high, It's I think it's a hundred times stronger than morphine and 50 times stronger than heroin. Um, so it's, it's just an unbelievable high that once you have it um, and, and people that don't have any tolerance and don't have that, they can die literally with a pebble like a salt. That's good. They're gone. But if people have a tolerance for drugs, then they get just a little bit of fentanyl and then they get addicted to that fentanyl. Their average lifespan is now two and a half to three years. 
So it's kind of like um, when you go down the road of, of, of taking drugs and you develop, your body develops a tolerance for it and you need a, a little bit more every time, a little bit more every time, that this is kind of like, I equate it, maybe I'm totally wrong, but would this be like taking that extra shot of booze uh, with the beer to, so that uh, you can <clears throat> achieve what you want to achieve a little faster. So you take a little shot that, and that, that uh, to get you high a little bit faster. Is that kind of how they're using it kind of thing? I think it's, yeah, I think it's a, even more exaggerated than that. I think the high is just, it's, it's, of course, I don't obviously do drugs, but I, I think it's just, it's such a euphoria that once you have it, you literally, it, I mean, as, as again, it hijacks your brain and you have to have more, 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 more. And it's inexpensive. And, you know, I always say, well, why would a drug dealer kill off their client? And if you get addicted to it, it's an on top, it's constant. That, 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 that person's going to come back to you, buy more, buy more, buy more, buy more, buy more. Um, and if that person dies, you just go to the next one. I mean, they also said at the DEA that, the drug dealers on the street corner are pretty much a thing of the past. This is all being done on the black web and um, delivered to your home, delivered to wherever, and they don't care. Somebody dies, they go to another. And it, you know, it's, it's chemicals being brought in at brought from China uh, to Mexico and just literally bombarding over our border. There's many articles you can Google of all the fentanyl busts. And quite frankly, the DEA is trying to train police officers to fight the cartels. I mean, they showed a map and there are cartels all over our country. Um, so it's, it's, it's just a very frightening time that there's actually a war going on in our backyard and it's killing our children, not to mention it's killing our kids, the age group that goes into our military. We're not even talking about that. It's the number one killer of kids or from ages 18 to 45. Wow. I had, I had no idea, but if you, if you look at it from that perspective and then you look at somebody that has got nefarious means, um, nothing is safe. Our water supply isn't safe. Um, our, because, because if somebody decided they wanted to have, I assume this is true. Now tell me if I'm, I'm wrong. If somebody wanted to have a mass casualty event and they were to put a bunch of pills in the reservoir um, that, was, that, that went into our tap water, um, it could kill people. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to give anybody any ideas, but I've thought that myself, too. It's like I, I just wish that. Well, trust me, if you, if you and I thought about it, it's already been thought of. So. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. And, you know, I, I think the number one thing that I'm thankful for that the DEA did is when they brought parents from across the country, I will tell you, I have met the most amazing mothers and it, it's an, it's a connection. I can't even describe to you um, because we get it. And only mothers that have lost a child understand and can be there for the other. And we are now an army. And I will tell like literally moms from Kentucky, California, North Carolina, Arkansas, they came for my event on Sunday to support me and I'm supporting them. And we, they marched on the White House steps on Saturday, September 17th, uh, with posters of showing all these children that have died. And that's the thing, like, that's what we all have this fire inside of us. We're not getting our kids back. My Christopher is gone. I am screaming an alarm to save your child so that you don't feel the pain that I feel. And that's what I'm doing this for. It's, it's Christopher's gone, but, but, but if I can save parents from losing their children, I want to scream to the highest from the highest mountain. And that's how all these mothers feel. And I'm just, I was just going through this in my mind going, okay, you know, we're, we're having, uh, a, a gun crisis in this country because kids are being killed by these these uh, rapid fire guns and these military weapons, and we talk about that. We talk about ways to fix it up on Capitol Hill. That they, not that they're going to get anything done, but they at least at least it's out there and people are talking about it. Nobody's talking about this. 
this is the weirdest thing I've, and it, and it is far and away, statistically speaking, it's far and away more deadly than, than uh, mass shootings are uh, by just by the numbers. I mean, if a hundred thousand people were, well, there are lots of people being killed in this country by firearms, but, but this is, this is, but this is something that we could actually do something about. Correct. Um, and that's, that's why you're working so hard. By the way, we're talking with Cammie Wolf Rice and she's got the, by the way, did you add the middle name because you're now a, a hoity toity big time author? No, actually um, my son, he, he wanted to take my maiden name because my, we didn't have any boys to carry on the wolf name. And obviously, unfortunately he's passed away. And so I honored the name of my charity is Christopher Wolf Crusade. I want to, you know, I wanted to build a crusade. And so that's why I put my maiden name in the middle because I want to carry on um, my maiden name and Christopher. Awesome. I think that's great. I think that's, that's really, that's really cool. And uh, she's written a book and which is coming out in the end of October, the, the flight, my opiate journey. I highly suggest that you buy the book and give it to family and friends because a lot of times we don't even know what's happening with our kids until it's too late. And uh, a good friend of mine was in rehab, came home, seemed to be doing fine. Um, had a, had a bad experience one day with life, which we all have. And if you don't know how to deal with it, you might revert to going back to what you used to do to make you feel good. So they did that and, um, rented a hotel room. They found him the next day. The needle was still in his arm. Um, and, and he was gone and, and it happened so fast. Nobody could stop it. Nobody could, nobody was even aware of it until it, it had happened. And so we as a culture have to really work to change how we are deciding that we are going to handle some of these things. And we're going to have to offer support like we've never offered before, or we're going to run, <laughs> we're going to run out of kids before, before too long. Cause us old folks are going to die off and, and, and the kids are uh, um, going to join us. This is crazy. Yeah. I mean, you know, so, I love it, by the way, that your name of your show is Positivity, you know, talk show. And so, you know, it, it's pretty grueling, the, the first part of our conversation here, Kevin. And so, but you have to bring the attention to what's going on. And so when I started Christopher Wolf Crusade, I wanted, because my son spent so much time in the hospital, I wanted to create, I picked the hardest thing in the world to do, um, which is interesting, but you know, if you look at our country, we use coaches for everything, right? Imagine a sports team without a coach. Imagine, I mean, you've got executive coaches, you have nutrition coaches, they even have sleeping coaches. There's coaches for everything, except for when you're in a health crisis and you need a coach to get through the recovery. And had I had this position when Christopher was in the hospital to help me and to help him. So I've had a clinical trial going on at one of the largest trauma hospitals in the country here in Atlanta, Georgia, Grady hospital. And we, it's called a life care specialist. Now they have child life specialists all over the United States. There's 6,000 of them in children's hospitals. When you're 18 and above, there's no coach. There's nobody to help you get through. Right. And so this and I call them to the patients, they're your care coach. And this care coach's job is to, number one, educate you about the medication that you've been put on. If you have to be on an opioid, you've had a car accident, a football injury, whatever the case, the importance of how quickly you need to taper off. We also provide all these techniques for non-pharmaceutical things to do for pain. We as our society think we can take a pill and that solves all the pain. And so we have all these different types. We do music therapy, we do brain distraction, we provide mental health techniques to help with anxiety, stress, depression, PTSD, which normally you have all those if you're in the hospital. And the nurses and doctors, they don't have the time we're in a nursing crisis in our country. They don't have time to explain to you and to talk to you about a pain management strategy. We follow up with the patients once they go home to make sure they're off their opioids. And again, provide 
uh, support from a from a mental standpoint as well. And so my my goal, Kevin, is to have these care coaches in hospitals across the United States. That is the goal of Christopher Wolf Crusade is developing this new position in healthcare. It's desperately needed. And the reality is, even though on the face of it, somebody might say, well, that's going to be really expensive to do that. But the reality is what? No, actually, if two people are not readmitted into the emergency, if you're released from the hospital and you don't go back for pain management into the emergency room within that 30 days of being let go, that's paid for the life care specialist for a year. <laughs> you told me that before. and It was like, wow, that again, that makes altogether too much sense. And it is. Well, and the, but and the other thing I just wanted to say is I've been in the hospital a few times. Um, I've spent, you know, I had septus and I had, you know, this, that, and I had my hips replaced and, and all of that. So I've had, I've had opiates and all and that kind of stuff, but the nurses, they're too busy. They don't have time to, to, to go through all of this with you. And to, in addition to assess your mental state. Uh, all they're interested in is making sure that you're following the doctor's protocol. And, oh, by the way, I've got 10 other patients in my rounds that I have to get to. And I'm here for 16 hours a day um, because the other one called in sick. And so I don't have time for you. Um, that's it, it, that's the way it was when I was in the hospital anyway. Exactly. And you know what's happened is the care coaches spend so much time with the patient that they uncover other issues, comorbidities like domestic violence or home insecurity or food insecurity, and they're able to get that patient resources where they normally would have fallen through the crack. We do a full assessment, um, which we can tell this assessment tool that we have that I have a champion surgeon, chief of surgery at Grady that's helped me put this together because I'm not from the healthcare industry. Um, I just knew what I didn't have all those times as, as Christopher's mother and what Christopher didn't have. And the results and the data, we're getting the preliminary data in. We have a 25% opioid utilization rate decrease. Um, it's, it's prevention. We've got to stop it before it starts because so many addictions start with a football injury, a car accident, whatever the situation, right? And you go home with a prescription and you might have low self-esteem, depression, stress. Those things can accelerate addiction because you're going to self-medicate, right? So not only did you hurt your shoulder and you're out for the whole season and you're depressed about that, right? Then you've got these pills that make you feel good. So you're going to self-medicate. And the next thing you know, You've got a senior in high school that's addicted to opioids. So we have to get on the prevention side. Um, so that's that's what the Crusades mission is, along with a million other things, of course. But <laughs> I think I think that that is so needed. It's important um, because what kids will do, um, having used to being one myself, what kids will do is, you know, if one pill feels good, two will feel even better. And, and so when you start going down that road and you're taking over your prescribed amount and in those days, now, I don't know how it is across the country. I know that in Washington state where I live, they're becoming increasingly aware of opiates and they're prescribing them less if they can. They used to give them out like candy. They don't do that anymore um, as much. Well, I can't say that because I'm not in every health care situation. So I don't know that who's doing what and and stuff like that. So it's but a hundred thousand people dying is not acceptable every year. It's no, just not acceptable. And and so yeah. you the work that you're doing is just is really really good. And for heaven's sake, it's so needed. We when you're in the hospital, life sucks. I don't care who you are. It's not fun to be in the hospital room, in a hospital bed, and you can't go anywhere and you don't feel very good. And, and it would be nice to have people there to support you, especially for those that don't have family around them. Absolutely. I mean, that was the silver lining during COVID because they couldn't see family members. And when we had a 26 year old that had her leg amputated and couldn't see her parents, can you imagine? And I said, do not leave her side, you know, and the life care specialist spent hours in there and, you know, you build a trust and we have a patient care package, believe it or not, 
like simple things. You know what? One of the number one things that patients love is an adult coloring book because it distracts the brain. And we have all kinds of things in there for them, just a, a blanket, a, a soft blanket, you know, because hospital rooms can be so sterile. And so, you know, we do music therapy and it's it's just so we, we really are constantly adding innovative things to help with pain besides taking a pill. How did you come up with this idea? Well, I was on a board, um, Alliance for Kids, that that dealt with supporting child life specialists. And so that's what made me think, you know what? Children have that. And the child life specialist helps children and helps the parents of the children in the children's hospital. But there's nothing in an adult hospital. And I thought, if only I would have had somebody with me all those times I was in the hospital with Christopher telling me, Hey, let's try this for pain. Let's do this distraction. Let's, you know, there's, we've been uh, trained by the trauma resource Institute with these little simple techniques to help distract your brain um, when you're having anxiety, stress, and depression. And so we've all been certified, even myself, I got in certified on these, on these techniques because Everybody deals with stress and anxiety. I mean, you know, we're hearing about mental health now like we've never heard before. And thank God we've got to get the stigma out so that we can all help each other. Everybody needs everybody needs a coach. Everybody needs help from time to time. We all have blind spots. We all need we all need support. And one of the things that I like about what you're doing is that you're providing and gathering all these people who, to support each other. What happens is when you have a, a community and you're having a community that came together because everybody's wounded, but you can help each other and you become a very, very strong advocate for one another. Is that, that's what I think happens. Is that what happens? It is. And you know, if you have a family member, you're listening right now and you have a family member because we all know one and it might not be immediate family. It might be a neighbor. It could be, we all know one. Um, and don't give up on them. They're in there and they need a tribe of support around them. They need support. And, you know, and so do the, and so do the caretakers, you know, it's, it's, it's tough being a caretaker. You got to take care of everybody. And that's why we have to eliminate the stigma and be, you can't do it alone. You have to be, it's such a freedom. I will tell you, it was such a freedom for me to come out and stand in the sun and say, you know, I'm not going to worry about looking good. I'm not going to worry about sounding good. I am out to help people and to save lives. And so to do that, I had to be raw. I had to come out and say, this is my son, my son overdosed. You know, my son, my son turned to heroin and I would have never in a million years, you got to understand my boy was such a disciplined. I mean, he was straight going to be a Navy SEAL. Until he got those Oxycontins. And it totally, totally ruined his life. Took his life. I'd like to, if for somebody that has not uh, talked about becoming like a Navy SEAL or know somebody that's talked about the regimen that they go through, um, you have to be strong-willed, you have to be tough, and you have to be willing to do some things like no other. And if he was, in, I'm sure he knew what was ahead of him to become a Navy SEAL and was preparing for it. So this is a completely different, um, he, he went down a completely different place. Um, and it was because, and they're proving it now, that the the, the uh, Oxycontin and those things and, and fentanyl and that, it changes your brain chemistry. Absolutely. And so it becomes a necessary thing for you. So I'm just real pleased for you on, on what you're doing. And, and I know your pre-sales are going well for your book. If somebody wants to order this book ahead of time, how do they do it? Thank you, Kevin. I do want to talk a little bit about the book. Um, so if you want to pre-order the book, it's Cami Wolf, W-O-L-F, Rice, R-I-C-E.com. And then cwc.ngo is the charity. We have a lot of resources up there, a lot more information about our care coaches and the charity. All the author proceeds, every dime goes to the charity. Um, and, and so I'm not taking any of this money for myself. This is all for the charity. And I got to tell you, it's been an interesting journey writing the book because I had to go 
outside to really explain because you can't explain the pain. You just can't. And so I use an airplane as a metaphor as our journey of life and people that get on your flight that you think are going to be on your flight your whole journey. And just like my son, he left my flight, but yet I have to keep flying and you land at different places in your life. You land at joy and success and happiness and forgiveness and the worst place, grief. And so no matter what challenges you have, no matter what you're facing today, you still have the empowerment to fly, to keep flying. And that's, that's really the message. The book really transformed into tools that will help people. And while you're hearing about my journey, it actually helps the reader to reflect and think about your own journey. So I've had people that, you know, didn't have a son that passed away, didn't have anything to do with opioids, but they said, you know what, I've been wanting to open my own business and I'm going to do it now after reading your book. And I was like, whoa, that has nothing to do with losing a son or an opioid journey. But it really helps you to think about your own journey. I've always said, well, I haven't always said, but in the last 20 years, I've, I've said that uh, um, at one point in our lives, we all have two questions that we ask. One is, uh, why am I here? Why am I really here? And the other one is, is this all there is? There's got to be more than this. And so you find your passion. You go search for it. You found your passion with uh, CWC, and it's become a major part in your life. And by the way, I'm looking at her website, and she actually put her EIN number so that you can do easy research so that you can determine the quality. And you can use that for, for uh, 501c3s because you can very easily uh, get the rating of that particular organization. And so she puts it right up there for you so that you can go do it. So that that tells me that your integrity is totally intact and that you're not scared of having anybody look at your books and and which which is just awesome. And uh, so I just want to put this out there. If you're somebody that and you're listening to this program and you're somebody with means and they're looking for a place to, to, to be an angel investor or to to help uh, with an organization like this. Um, CWC would be a great organization to for you to invest in. So I just wanted to put that out there just in case. And you can go to CamiWolfRice.com uh, um, and get in touch with her, and you can deposit a great big check on her behalf or somebody that you like. You're so sweet. I really appreciate you so much. You know, and, and I, I got to say, you're right. You know, I've been chosen to do this work, and I promise you, I mean, I – we don't know what happens when we die. We all have our own perception of what we think is going to happen. But what I will tell you is my son has been helping me this whole time. I get God winks all the time. I get signs from him all the time that he's with me and he sacrificed his life so that others can live theirs. And that's the way I look at it. And I've been chosen to do this work um, to save lives. And so that's, that's what gets me up every day. You know, um, he would have been 39 years old on Sunday and uh, it's a rough day for me, but I celebrated it instead. I said, I got to celebrate this. And that's, you know, that's when I did this whole program to educate people. And I just feel good about it. I feel like I am making a difference. And if one person hears today, one person uh, shares with somebody. One person goes and gets Narcan. Everyone should have Narcan, <laughs> you know, um, that it could save a life. I want to ask you about that. But first, I want to mention this to you. And that is I, I've, I firmly believe that we come here with a predestination of what we are going to do. And I think that you and Christopher got, came here together in order to um, save a lot of lives because they could see this coming and so he had he chose to be the one that was the example and you chose to be mama bear who's going to uh come after it like no other and uh i, I and he's still yeah i i know he's with you every day absolutely he, he is so freaking proud of you you know that thank you that means a lot kevin it really does i mean i i have him right here he's just smiling at me He's right here. Yeah, he smiles. You know, right next to me all the time, all the time. He he is he is there to uh, 
protect you and he's also there to support you and he is so thrilled that you are taking this role and i am thankful to christopher for bringing us together so that i can help you oh thank you kevin i really appreciate you you've been such a big supporter to have me on here and giving me the voice because anytime i can get a microphone and even when i can't i i constantly i i'm just on fire so i really really appreciate this platform you've built an, an unbelievable platform kevin and you reach so many people and i am incredibly grateful for this opportunity I can tell you this is that I'm grateful to have you. This is the Grateful Club. I'm grateful to have you here because we have a unique platform, you and I, because of what I do with the radio show and with uh, the podcast and all of that, and what you do with writing your book and being an advocate and the and the 501c3 and all the things you're doing. You're making a difference and you're saving people's lives. You're impacting them in a positive way. And that's, that, to me, there is no better calling than that. And uh, you're something that, that and the cool thing is, you're not even going to know who it's going to be. But one of these days, when your book comes out, mark my words, your book's going to come out and somebody's going to walk up to you and say, Cammy, I just want you to know you saved my life. Or you saved my son's life. Or you saved my daughter's life. And they're going to say, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. And hopefully they'll turn into an advocate. And then you can have more people. Because what will happen is this will become a bigger and bigger movement. And as well it should. Because we've got to figure out how to get the drugs out of the system. And to make it work for everybody. And you're only going to do that through positivity through working together through meditation and prayer and all the all the things that we can do in a positive way and we've got to work together on this stuff and quit arguing amongst ourselves i'm sorry i'm on a soapbox now Uh, quit arguing amongst ourselves over stupid shit when we need to be talking about what is killing a hundred thousand kids nobody i you know the midterms are coming up and i have not heard one politician say you know we really have got to get uh and really work on the, the drug problem here and figure out how that we can save our children. And Narcan is an, is a integral part of that. Why is it so hard to come by? Um, that's a great question. I feel like they should have been giving Narcan out at every COVID vaccine place. I mean, they should be giving it out for free instead of being in lawsuits with Purdue Pharma and getting all these money to these states and not handing out Narcan. I mean, it, in some states, you don't need a prescription. It's true. There are webs- There are a few websites out there, but again, if you watch a tutorial, like a two-minute, three-minute tutorial on how to use nasal spray, they'll ship it to you. But they've been running out of it um, for free. It's, it's honestly, it should absolutely be no prescription, and it should be given anybody can go to a pharmacy and get it. Um, in, like I said, some states you don't need a prescription. You can just go to your pharmacy. I'm telling you, please go get it. You might not need it for your child. You might need it for your child's friend. You might need it for the neighbor across the street that calls you that their son's passed out on the floor. You might need it at a gas station. I mean, every single person should own Narcan. And you know, it's interesting. There are some people that have said, I was at a conference speaking and I I said, Narcan, Narcan, Narcan. And they came up afterwards and they said, we don't, we don't agree with you. We think that you're enabling drug use. And I said, so if you see somebody drowning, you wouldn't give them an or you wouldn't give them a life jacket. I mean, who are you to decide when somebody dies or not? Like, I just got so upset. I just didn't even, I couldn't comprehend how you could be worried about drug enabling when somebody, I mean, they might think they're taking a Xanax and it has fentanyl in it. They're thinking they're taking a Xanax for anxiety and they overdose and die. So I, I just, I, I, I'm, a, I'm appalled that there is some question in some people's minds of, well, I don't really know if I would want to save somebody. Really? <laughs> I, I can't, I can't, I can't wrap my brain around that. So I think that the country needs, it'd be great to get a petition going. Uh, a lot of the moms have, we've all talked about it, of, of getting a petition going across the country to say, why is, why are we not dispersing Narcan? in a huge way to everyone to save a life. 
Well, what you said makes so much sense because it's like somebody's drowning. Well, you know, if they should have learned how to swim, you know, and, yeah. and then then let them drown. Yeah. It, it, it makes it makes no sense. Besides, the person that may have overdosed, and it may be an inadvertent overdose or something like that. The that little girl who took the uh, sweet tart, and uh, you don't have it available. Yeah. And I was just thinking while we were talking about that, you know, the, I don't know what they do it as much now, but years ago they used to do uh, uh, CPR drills and they did CPR classes and you can learn how to do CPR so you can save a life. This seems like an, a whole bunch easier. And I will tell you, I've, I've witnessed a couple of guys that were overdosing and they, you could not wake them up to save your life. They were, but Narcan, they were up, instantly and now it wears off so they still have to go to the hospital mm -hmm. and they still have to go through all that stuff but they're not dead mm -hmm. that's 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 pretty so i agree with you that we we have covid uh, uh boosters for free i think that anybody who needs narcan anybody that's got kids I, it's it's like having an EpiPen. yes exactly exactly you don't know when your kid's gonna get uh, stung by a bee or eat a peanut. Mm -hmm. And would it's, you not really give them the EpiPen? Because huh? they ate a peanut and they made a bad choice. They weren't supposed to. I mean, right. yeah, it's just, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, that is exactly the way it should be looked at is, um, I mean, to me, why isn't Purdue Pharma providing that, right? I, because it probably there's not enough money in it. Right. Right. Because everything, everything, sadly, is about money. But this, this transcends that, yeah. because we're we're losing people, not even some of which have not even reached the prime of their lives. No. And and that's just it's we. I'm 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 with you. I I value you and what you're doing. You're doing some incredible work, and uh, this book is going to be a big deal. I think. Thank you, Kevin. I really. If I can help it be a big deal, I will. Thank you. Because this is one of those, I, I, you know, I can't think of anything better to do with your life than to help people. And this is a, if you can, if you can, if you can help people live and not die and, and your book is important. It's called the flight, my opiate journey. And, uh, the author is Cami Wolf Rice. It's going to be out in late October. However, you can go to our website, which is camiwolfrice.com. And there's a little tab there that says buy the book. And you can pre-order it right now. And you know what? Christmas is a coming. It's going to be, you know, the older I get, the faster Christmas comes every year. It just amazes me. <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you mean by that. And the other thing I, I just want to mention, too, um, I put QR codes. I, I learned this through, you know, going to a restaurant and wanting to eat. <laughs> so I learned how to do the scan at a restaurant. And I was sitting there. and I was like, oh. I'm going to put that in my book. So in the back of the book, there is, you scan a QR code and it has a full library of resources, information. If you want to learn more, how to talk to your kids about drugs, um, how to find a treatment center in your area. There's many, it's a resource library that I can constantly keep updated. It'll never go stagnant because it's a QR code. And then I also did a QR code after each chapter just to add some extra content of my own personal um, experience and journey. And, you know, I talk about a lot of things in there and I know we've talked about a lot of really, you know, disturbing things here, but I just want you to know that there is a strong message of positivity and hope and most importantly, love in the book as well. If you want my honest opinion, the only way that we are going to get through this kind of stuff is with love, compassion, caring for each other and really working to make it happen yes. uh, because it's not going to happen any other way. And, and it's, and it's even, you know, you talked about AA and I, in, I, I, in, I think 12-step programs are a real good idea, but I think there's a better way, personally. Um, don't know exactly what that way is, but there's got to be compassion. There's got to be love. They've got to take care of each other. And I know they try and do that there, too. But but if you need, and also in, in your book or on your website, does it give uh, anywhere that somebody who needs help can go get it? 
Yes, it does have, it's a, it has a treatment locator. You can put in your um, zip code and it'll tell area where they have treatment centers and areas of help. There's also partnership to end addiction. They help families. I'll tell you, you know, families, when you are dealing with someone fighting substance use disorder, it, it doesn't just hit the person suffering. It's the entire family and you need support for siblings and for moms and dads. And so there's a lot of resources from that perspective as well. Um, you do need support. It's, it's an ongoing, unfortunately, there's not a cure. You're going to be dealing with it. There are relapses. I mean, it's, it's a long-term journey that you need help and, and that's going to have all those resources in there for you. It's a, it's a horrible thing that the kids are having to go through. Um, they don't think it is when they first start, but, but after a while, um, it, it becomes insidious and it affects family life. It affects your ability to work and do everything else. It also raises the crime rate. So for those of you that are very interested in lowering the crime rate, uh, getting people off of drugs would be, would be a really great way to do that as well. So, um, what do you say to people that would tell you, you know, Cammy, 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 you're. Your heart's in the right place. You've got a wonderful idea. The work is going to be good, but you're never going to fall solve a thing because these people choose to do what they do. Yeah, I got that in the, um, and also when I'm, you know, trying to create a new position in healthcare, they're like, oh, that sounds great, but where are you going to get the money? How are you going to fund it? Um, and those are doubters. You know, I, I, I'm on a mission. I got big boots and, um, you just got to look at it one life at a time. And again, I, I am such an advocate for prevention. We just do a lousy job in this country of preventing anything. And we wait till there's a disaster and then we got to fix it. And, and I want to prevent people from going, getting that addiction to that, that drug. Um, so I, I, I'm not in the naysayers. I just kind of, you know, thank you for sharing, for caring. And I keep moving. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell you what, I admire your guts and your intestinal fortitude because that's what it's going to take to change this country. Yeah. And, and, you know, the other the other thing is, is there's a segment of our population that wants to ban books, wants to take uh, uh, sex ed out of school, wants to do these things. We need, you know, education is the key to touching a, a young person, and that's drug education, sex education, all of it. Uh, so that they can understand what it is going in and prepare themselves so that they don't. Uh, I got I got to tell you a quick story. I have never been into drugs at all. I've never, never taken them. I, I drink a beer occasionally. But uh, I went to a party one time when I was in my early 20s. I was working in a restaurant at Denny's downtown. And uh, so I go to a party afterwards. And, and there, the, the way the parties worked back then, you had the front party where you had all the people with, you know, that were drinking beer and maybe a glass of wine. And we're talking. And then you had the back bedroom party. And this was a selected few back bedroom party where fewer people could go. And so I wandered back there just minding my own business, had no idea. And I see this mirror. And they're, and they're taking this white powder and they're, and they're with this mirror and they're chopping it up and making lines out of it and stuff like that. And so it goes around to everybody. I'm the last one in the room. And I say, no, thank you. You should have seen the look on their face. <laughs> it's like, what do you mean? No, thank you. You, you know, we, you're got to, you've got to do this. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, and stuff, but there aren't very many people that would say no. And because of peer pressure or, mm. or whatever and, and, and stuff. So, you know, I, I just got the biggest kick out of that because they were like, why don't you want to have any of our cocaine? It's good stuff, man. Didn't, didn't interest me, but yeah, like what's but, wrong with you? Yeah. Yeah, well, that's exactly what what it was. Is like, is like there were like eight people there, and they were like, first of all, they thought maybe I was a narc, uh, like I was. Yeah. From, from, I wasn't going to take any, and so what's what? Are you going to call us in? What are you going to do? You know, kind of thing. Yeah, uh, is this guy undercover? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, but you know, we have to start young. We have to start now. We have to start helping kids understand what it is. And then not take candy from strangers. Make sure it's so sad that we have to make sure that everybody, all the candy comes wrapped and it's in their original wrapper and all that kind of stuff. So that it's, it, but that's the way it is. It is. I mean, you know, we, 
there was a mom that asked the question, how young should we start educating? And they said literally age five, six, you should have those conversations. Um, so yeah, we, we, we need to wake up and understand it's the reality and, you know, social media and all that's just changed the way, you know, and, and, you know, it's like, you can't, it's hard to have it come from adults. So, you know, one of the other hats, I, I'm on another charity and we work with young people and we do peer to peer model. And I really, my second phase is going to be, you know, educating young people and then train the trainer that have the young people teach the other. It should be peer to peer, a hundred percent. You can't have an adult saying, don't do this, don't do that. Da, 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 da. It doesn't work. But if you have a young person sharing, you know, um, I think that's the answer to educating the young people is having it be peer to peer. I think that is what has to happen. I agree with you. It's the only way. Mm -hmm. It's the only way. There's a certain segment of kids are just not going to, ah, oh, yeah, you're, you're old. What do you care? Or mm -hmm. what do you know? You know, stuff like that. So, by the way, we've been talking again. I enjoy our conversation so much, Cammie. Thank you. I enjoyed it too, Kevin. I really appreciate it. You gave me all the opportunities to get everything. I mean, I could keep going. I mean, I just, I have so much information I'm trying to share, but I think I hit the highlights and the, the most important things that for your audience to just um, be aware of. Well, if you watch this um, in the next, uh, no, the, the next, whole next week, um, because she's going to be on uh, KKNW 1150 AM and 9 AM in the morning pacific time next monday and we're going to continue this conversation and we're going to point to this uh podcast so that people can go there and and watch that i don't know that you can get enough information about this to, for it to be you know like overdone because when you think about nine every nine minutes we've been doing this we've been doing this for 60 minutes so that means every nine minutes um what is that uh, six or seven kids have died since we started this podcast that's just unacceptable that's just unacceptable to me so. it really is it really is i i mean it's you know and it's so sad i mean i've got one mom that i met in uh she's out of arkansas stacy james and you know what she does she raises money when a child dies and the parent can't afford to bury their child that's the other thing that you got to start to think about. Yeah, because you talk about 100,000 people died this last year. Think of the impact to the survivors. You got a mother devastated. You got a father. You got siblings, aunts, uncles, grandparents. It's destroying the communities. Do you not think this war, they know what they're doing? They're not just killing the individual. They're destroying the community, a family. I have a good friend of mine. Her name is Kayla. And her best friend, two, maybe a month ago, um, OD'd and, and, and died. She was a beautiful girl. She was like 24, 25. She had a beautiful life ahead of her. Um, and, and it's no more. And it was devastating. Uh, Kayla was absolutely, and her friends and family were absolutely devastated. And she didn't intend that. Um, she didn't, she didn't commit, sure, she didn't do suicide. It was an accident. Uh, but because somebody poisoned what she had and, and put, what she put in her body. It's, yeah, it's, you're it's, talking about friend. We're not even, we didn't talk about that. We're talking about the families that are impacted. What about the whole, the friends? It's just whole, devastating yeah. to everybody. The whole community. And, and yes, there are, and, so we can we can fix this. We can well, I can't say that definitively, but I can say that we can shine a light on it, and hopefully, it it will over time that people will recognize that we need to put every dollar that we have behind it if that's what needs to happen, so that we can get the, you know, some countries take it real seriously this healthcare business about making sure that people have resources so that if they run into a problem like like some sort of an addiction that they can get help for it. We don't do that here. Maybe we should. I think it would probably be a good idea. Yes, I agree. I agree, Kevin. I'm gonna I'm gonna step aside. I've talked way too much in this episode, so I'm gonna step aside and I'm gonna let you say anything to our audience, the ones that are listening now, and the ones that will be listening later. Anything that you'd like them to know. 
really what I want you to do is share. I want you to go home this evening. I don't care the dinner table on the phone, call your best friend, talk about it at, at the kitchen, at the dinner table, share what you've heard. Um, you don't really realize again, because of stigma, people don't talk about it. And, you know, I put stuff out on Facebook. I put stuff out on Instagram and I get people to private message me and they say, Oh my gosh, my son's a heroin addict. Can you help? It was one person, you know, but they happen to see a post and they happen to see somebody else that shared a post. It's, it's really about sharing the information. You don't know who you're going to help by sharing uh, what you've heard here today. Again, it's, it's just to be aware, be your own health advocate, ask doctors questions, ask, make sure a dentist, when your kid's getting wisdom teeth out, they don't need a bottle of Percocet. They do not. <laughs> if they have to take a Percocet, get them off of it as quickly as possible. Ice and Motrin. I mean, these are the conversations we need to be having. Um, and so that, that would be, I could go on and on and on, but I'll stop there. Be your own health advocate, share everything that you've heard today. And Kevin, just bless you, bless you for this opportunity. If you're interested in the book, please pre-order on camiewolfrice.com and cwc.ngo. Thank you so much. The name of the book again is The Flight. And it's an, it's an inspiring story of Cammy's personal journey through the opiate I, epidemic and it is that it is truly that and you can also hey look at that there's a donate button so you can go there and you can donate to the cause and and stuff like that because um there you know it well we i, I gotta i gotta stop and we'll talk about this for another hour um because uh yes we will um uh, but we're gonna talk on monday next monday at 9 a.m that's right That'll be for the KKNW listener audience, and I hope that you'll uh, tune in to listen to that. It's KKNW, 1150 AM. Go to 1150kknw.com, and you can listen no matter where you are, anywhere in the world. Uh, they, you just listen on the uh, stream. So I want to thank you again for, for doing this. This has been, I think it's been a real positive episode because you're making a difference to make it positive and, and to really impact people where they live and that's in their homes and their offices with their families and to help people understand that we've got to end this it's, we don't really have a choice because the last numbers that i read were like sixty thousand people you said this year it's a hundred thousand people there's no reason to assume that it won't go up from there mm -hmm. unless we take active steps to stop that's it right. that's right thank you kevin I'll talk to you on Monday. I'm excited to talk to you on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> that, that will be fun. And uh, we may even take some calls if somebody wants to call in to talk about their particular situation. So, okay. So. That'd be great. If you wait right there, Cammy, I will be right back. Thanks, Kevin. Hey, thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of PositiveTalkRadio.net. Please visit our website, oddly named PositiveTalkRadio.net, for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, Remember, be kind to one another because each other's a 